Okay, we are reading today out of James, picking up where we left off last time. And we are reading in James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. And this has been a chapter and a portion of great controversy, and even luminaries in the church, in church history, have thought it best not even to read the book of James because of because of, of, of this passage. Did you know that? Yeah, that's true. In fact, Martin Luther. Martin Luther felt he wanted a closed canon, so he didn't suggest that it be removed, but he thought it best not even to read this book. So let's see why there were problems and, and how we may be able to make sense out of this. So look in, in chapter 2 of James, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works. Can that faith save him? Okay, let me read that again. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Now, let me show you why it's controversial. Look in, in keep your finger there, but, but uh, uh, turn back to the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 2, and this is just a couple of the verses that we could go to. that speak about this, that Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man, this is Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, since the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Now turn over, uh, um, right after the book of Galatians, you have the book of of Ephesians. Turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. This is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. Okay, so by grace we have been saved through faith, not as a result of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Okay, now let's turn back to the book of James, and we'll read verse Chapter 2, verse 14 again. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Do you see why this can be somewhat confusing? Alright? Now, the key is, there, there are several things here. But there are different frames of reference. And there's five different points talking about different frames of reference. And let's consider the situation. The situation for Paul was Paul was using justification to counteract legalism. He was using justification to counteract legalism. James was referring to the life of the one who's already justified. To counteract the, the belief that we have no commandments that we have to live under. So remember that the New Testament has about 150 commandments that can keep us quite busy. 
We're not under the 613 of the Old Testament law, but we can be kept quite busy with what's in the New Testament. Many of the New Testament commandments are embodied in the Old Testament ones. Number two, the meaning of the word works. For Paul, it was with respect to works of the Old Testament law of Moses, those 613 commandments. Paul was trying to free us from that. James, it was respect to works of love and faith. So in other words, the works that come out of having faith already. Another point is the meaning of the word justification. For Paul, justification meant legal acquittal. It was a legal thing, being acquitted. For James, justification meant vindication or justifying one's uh, uh, profession of faith. A justification of our profession of faith or a, a vindication of it. Paul's intention was to contrast salvation through grace or works. He was making this contrast of salvation between grace and works, saying it is by grace that we are saved and not works, where James is trying to contrast a dead faith versus a living faith. And finally, the place of works. Paul argued against works as a means for justification. James argued for works in the lives of those already justified. So look at the frame of reference. For Paul, he was saying we are not justified by works. And that's fine. James has no problem with that. And Paul, and this is what Paul preached. And, but James was saying that works come out of the one who's already justified. Now Paul wasn't opposed to good works. Not at all. For in Romans 12.21 he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. By doing things, we can overcome evil. C.S. Lewis used to put it this way. He said that the, that the Germans disliked the Jews, and so they started throwing, stores through their, 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 throwing stones through the storefront windows. And you would think that, okay, that would then appease their dislike and they'd be content then. No. By doing that evil... It made them hate the Jews even more, so they designated them to just live in ghettos. And you would think, okay, now their anger against the Jews has been fulfilled and they'd be satisfied. No. It says that then they hated the Jews more and they put them in concentration camps. That didn't satisfy it, and then they had to kill them. And even their death didn't satisfy them. And so what C.S. Lewis says is that in overcoming evil with good, if you do a good act... It makes you love the person more, just like doing an evil act makes you hurt the person more, makes you hate the person more. So what you do is when you have a person that's disruptive to you, that bothers you, you know how you deal with it? You do something good for them. And it will make you like them more. So I've had professors oppose me on campus and, 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 and say evil things about me. And so you know what I do? I invite them to lunch. I invite them to lunch. And it's amazing, having a meal with them, they all of a sudden become my friend. I like them more, and I'm not as upset about the things that they said, and they like me more because they understand me a little bit better. They still think I'm a bit kooky, but at least they understand me. And I'm able to carry a conversation with them. We overcome evil with good. So Paul wasn't opposed to doing uh, uh, good works, but it was just a different perspective. 
The book of James is not dealing with salvation. He starts out the book saying, I'm writing to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Brethren. He is dealing with people who are already saved. It's not it's salvation oriented, but it's oriented toward doing good works. This whole book is oriented to, toward doing good works by the believer, one who's already justified. Contrasting dead faith versus living faith. He says there's a faith that's dead, that's not active. There's no life there. It doesn't lead to salvation. One who claims to have a faith, it may not particularly lead to salvation. He says a living faith does this thing. It does works. It is a demonstration of one who's already justified. It's not doctrinal. This book of James is not establishing new doctrine, as Paul's writings were. Faith that saves is a faith that's expected to do good works. In other words, those who are saved do good works. Not all the time. We don't always do good works. And we'll deal with that. And that's dealt with, actually, in this chapter. Living faith authenticates itself through works. This is important. A living faith authenticates itself through works. And we'll deal with that more. While faith and works are opposing elements in means to salvation, they are both involved in the life of the believer. So both faith and works are involved in the life of the, the believer. It's a means, it, it, it's means versus evidence. And Jesus, Jesus spoke about this same sort of thing. If you look in the Sermon on the Mount, so look back in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus spoke about this type of thing, that there had to be some evidence of works here. Look in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You, are, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit. But bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So Jesus concedes that there are people who even will say, Lord, Lord. But there's nothing there that manifests itself as an expression of faith toward that Lord through outward expression. So Jesus spoke of the same sort of thing. So James isn't bringing up anything particularly new here. He's just building upon this Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so let's look at, at, at verse 14 again in James chapter 2. Let's dissect it a bit. James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? So it says, what use is it if someone says he has faith? It's never saying he has faith, but he has no works. It doesn't say that. It says, one says he has faith. You see the difference? I say I'm a football player. And I can say that all day. 
And as much as I want to be a football player, and I, I envision myself as a, as a football player, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a running back, and I get these touchdowns, and I jump up in the stands, and everybody pats me on the head and tells me how great I am. That's me. And when I watch football and I see somebody do that and say to Shereen, that's me. That's me. That's me. And I, and I, I, I live... I, I live through their life, I live my, my life. It's, it's, it's just this exciting dynamic for this person who sits in front of a computer all day. So I can say that, but it doesn't particularly mean anything. And this is what he's saying. He says if one says he has faith, and this says he has faith means he keeps on saying it. It's this active thing. He keeps on saying, I have faith, I have faith. But if he has no works, works. There is a multiplicity of work that God calls us to do. God calls us to good works. He says, if he has faith, but he has no works, what use is it then, my brethren, my brothers? If one says he has faith, but he has no works. So this is a rhetorical question demanding a negative response. It is a question that's asked. And it, it, it calls upon us to respond negatively. And then he says, can that faith save him? Again, another rhetorical question demanding a negative response. The answer is no. That faith that he has, that he's saying, that is not a living faith. That is not a living faith. I'm not a living football player. I want to be, but I'm not. This is what he's saying. Just because a person says, I have faith, he says it doesn't necessarily make it a living faith. The livingness of it is going to manifest itself. It's going to manifest itself in some works. Is a faith that produces no works whatsoever a saving faith? That's another way of rewording this question. Let me tell you what Ryrie says about this portion. He says, and I'll read, read what he's written. He says, can a non-working, dead, spurious faith save a person? James is not saying that we are saved by works, but the faith that does not produce good works is a dead faith. James was not refuting the Pauline doctrine of justification by true faith, but a perversion of it. Both Paul and James define faith as a living, productive trust in Christ. Genuine faith cannot be dead to morality or barren to works. So, then, then what happens is James, James then moves into an example. This is the beautiful thing. James, once again, in our face. He comes with something, he asks these rhetorical questions, and now he teaches us with an example. He says in verse 15, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. So he talks about a dead faith. He talked up in verse 14, he says, can that faith save him? There's a saving faith, and then there's a dead faith. In other words, one who says, I have faith, but there's nothing there. Now we will get to it probably next week, that all those who are in Christ, who have a faith in Christ, 
They manifest works. We may not see it, we may not be aware of it, we may not judge it as works, but God will call them to it. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. There are differences in it. We'll get to that next week. But he says in verse 15, If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food. Now this is, this is, uh, this is an important thing to, to, uh, to James. This is not just some philosophical thing. James was the pastor of the Jerusalem church, which after Acts chapter 8 became an impoverished church. And this church was in need of donations from the Gentile churches, and often donations were brought, and Paul would often take up collections for those in Jerusalem. So James knew this and knew it well. In Acts chapter 11, it talks about, in verse 29, how offerings were taken up for this church in Jerusalem. He says, if a brother or a sister, so you see it has no designation of sex, it's either sex here, a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food. So if one is without clothing and in need of daily food, in other words, it is a recurring thing that this person doesn't have enough to eat. You may have a day where you don't have enough to eat, but he's talking about recurring thing that there's not enough to eat and is without clothing and in need of daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled. This go in peace is a common Jewish expression. This peace be with you. Go in peace. But then he says, be warm and be filled. So in other words, your need of clothing, be warm. Your need of food, be filled. God will meet your need. Bless you, God will meet your need. But remember, God usually, not always, but predominantly meets the needs of believers through other believers. That's predominantly how He works. So James says, for you just to say, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what use is that? Again, another rhetorical question demanding a negative answer. It is of no use at all. That is the, the answer to the question. That is what this question demands us to answer just by the way it is written. What use is that? It is of no use at all. Even so, if it ha- even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. He says that there is no profit in it. It's the application of faith. Faith without works is a dead faith. It is not a saving faith. Faith without works is dead. Now again, I can't see what's, what's always in people's lives, but God does see it, and it should be revealed to ourselves. but it reveals itself through works. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals with this again. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals with this. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. He says that he is calling us to be a light. We may not particularly feel like lights, but he's calling us to be a light. There are things that we can do to place ourselves in positions that call us to difficulty, where we have to stand as a light. I'll give you an example. When I visited 
a Christian university. I saw what the folks did there, and I thought it was interesting, and God calls some people to Christian universities. I couldn't do that. I like being in the secular university. I like the sparks. I like the fire because it makes me stronger. The controversy makes me stronger. If everybody agreed with me, and my theology kind of fit everybody else's theology, and the only difference I had was on subtle points of theology, I think I would become lethargic in my faith. I want to put myself in a position where I have to defend the gospel. And this is why I often turn to people sitting next to me on airplanes and I say, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? Which is like out of nowhere. And they look at me like, what are you talking But it's just kind of fun to see the reaction. What are they going to do? I haven't threatened them. I just asked them a question. Do you believe this? And I've had enormous differences in responses. But I've built up really tremendous relationships to this too. Through this too. I mean, one former congressman I was sitting next to and immediately we became good friends. Another congressman's brother, and, and this, this guy had, had a name that, that you would all know because he's a congressman from Texas. He and I struck up a good relationship because of this sort of, uh, of, of conversation. Many times I've had people say, not really, but, and then we begin to talk. I want to do this. Why do I want to do this? I want to place myself in situations that make me stronger and that also somehow witness for Jesus. This is what God calls us to. Jesus said, we are lights that are not to be hidden. We have to put ourselves in positions that are difficult. It is good to go on short-term missions. It is good to do this. Because it calls us beyond ourselves. It takes us from where we're comfortable and all of a sudden we're in this environment and we can start sharing. And we can start doing things. I want my children to go on these things. I want them to learn what it is to, to hang drywall. I want them to learn what it is to clean bathrooms. I want them to do that. That is good for them. Jesus calls us to do this. And this is the type of thing that James himself is talking about. Okay, let's, let's look back at, at James chapter 2, verse 18. <clears throat> but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So if there is a living faith, it is going to be demonstrated through works. Faith is not visible. It's not generally visible. Works are often visible. Faith is something that is less tangible in a visible sense. Faith, I'm sorry, works is demonstrable. Works demonstrates something. It shows, it demonstrates. Faith is hard to prove without visible works that are substantiating this. Both to others, Jesus said, you will, you will see their good works 
and thereby glorify their Father who's in heaven. Of the prophets, of the false prophets, he says they're not bearing any good fruit. You will see it. You will know them by their fruits. Jesus himself said the same thing. You will know them by their fruits. This is a way of discerning. If you see a person, say you, say you ha- have a roommate, and this roommate wakes up every morning at 5 a.m. and spends an hour reading the Bible and just spending time with God, that's going to witness something to you as their roommate that, hey, this person is really wanting to take hold of this. They're not perfect, but there's a sincerity there. There's a work that's manifest by forcing ourselves to wake up in the morning and spend time with God. That is a work that demonstrates something to the friend and also to us. And as we're going to see in in some of the, the examples that he uses, the demonstration was, it was demonstrated to God, but it was demonstrated to the individual. So this is what this is talking about. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. So you see, just by the structure of this statement, we can see that faith without works is not demonstrated. It is not what there is supposed to be. But he says, I will show you my faith by my works. The structure of this sentence tells us that the latter situation is much better than the former. That you demonstrate your faith through your works. Both claim to have faith. But only one can substantiate the claim. You have faith and I have works. He says that, show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Both have faith. Only one has works. You see in that sentence? Both of those people have faith. Only one of them has faith with works. And the structure of that sentence tells us that the one of faith with works is the one that is superior. Salvation is by grace through faith, but saving faith produces works. Salvation is by, is by grace through faith, but saving faith produces works. This is what happens. From the moment a person receives the Lord... There are things that they want to start changing. Something happens in the heart. And sometimes for us, it's hard to see that. You know, I don't see much with it. It's hard for us to judge sometimes, but God begins to work little by little in the life, in the life of the new believer. The new believer will stop using certain language. You'll start seeing certain manifestations of this. Sometimes you see this new believer just going crazy. I mean, just witnessing to everybody and sharing with everybody, inviting all their own old friends to church. Sometimes you see this. Other times you don't. Because we're all different. But faith, true saving faith, will always manifest works in the life of the believer. Some 30, some 60, some 100, uh, 100 fold. It is a varying amount. Then he says, in verse 19, you believe that God is one? And what he's probably referring to here is the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6.4. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This statement is known by every Jew. Every Jew knows this. Even secular Jews know this. This is 
This is sort of like our Lord's, the Lord's Prayer. But even more so. This is just so ingrained in every Jew, no matter how secular they are. This Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It was popular in that day, because that's what James is referring to. Remember, he starts this book by saying, I'm writing to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. There were no Gentiles in the church at this time. And, and, and James says specifically, he's writing to the brethren of the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. So, the ones of the diaspora. And he's saying, you say that God is one? That's great. That's great. But that in itself is not enough. So just to say, I believe in God, is insufficient. To just say, I believe that God is one, that too, James says, is insufficient. He says, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. <clears throat> so there's this, there's this portion that talks about demons. There's several portions that talk about demons believing that God is one and shuddering. So, in, in, for example, in, in Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, verse 24, Jesus walks into this synagogue and immediately he's confronted by one who's demon-possessed and the demon starts speaking to Jesus. And, and here's what he says in Mark 1, 24, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this demon believes that God is one. That though Jesus is standing there in front of him, he is the Holy One of God. And that Jesus has the power to destroy him. So this is what James is referring to. You believe that God is one. You believe in God. That in itself is insufficient. Demons also believe this. Verse 20, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So even if a person says, look, I believe in God. I believe in God. It's a problem. I believe in God. You believe in God, I believe in God. The Bible says that's a great first step. But belief in God, even to the point of fearing God, is insufficient if there are no works that are a manifestation of that belief that results in faith. He says, in verse 20, he uses this strong term, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow? I mean, these are strong words. Jesus even spoke about these, these type of words. You foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. So do you see the difference between what Paul was speaking and what James is speaking in reference to works? For Paul, he's saying works are not going to save you. You are justified through faith. For James, he's saying, okay, for you who are justified, once you're justified, there is a manifestation of works that comes out that doesn't get you salvation, but it's evidence of salvation. The works are an evidence of salvation. What does that mean to us? Okay, so we, we, we understand now the text. The text now becomes clear, and we don't, like some, have to throw this out because it, 
we, we, we think it, 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 it's contrary to what Paul speaks. It is not contrary. So we're, we're all one on that, right? Can we all agree on that now? Okay. What does this now mean for us? It means that God calls us to something different. You read a passage in the Scripture, and your eyes keep coming back to this passage, and God begins to speak to you. Say, Lord, do this in my life. There is a change that needs to be manifest in my life because of what this Word says right here. God calls us to do something different. God calls us to good works. He calls us to give. He calls us to many things. But other things sometimes are more subtle. Their attitude changes in our life. I treat my wife this way. And that's not what God has called me to. And the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart. This is a demonstration of faith. Because if God was not there, I wouldn't care. It's because God is working in my life. It's a demonstration. I want my life to come under submission to what this Word says. It is believing the Word of God. Believing the Word of God and taking hold of it. Let me give you an example from my life this week. This, just this week. <clears throat> in in uh, Psalm chapter 1. This is the simplest of prayers. Psalm chapter 1, you say, what do you, what do you mean, the simplest of prayers? I'm sorry, this is Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12, I'm telling you, it is the simplest of prayers. You will never forget this prayer. You say, well, I'm not good at memorization. You will never forget this one. I guarantee you, you will never forget this one. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 12, verse 1, here is the prayer. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. And then he gives the reasons why he's crying out for help. But it is that simple. Help, Lord. Now, help presupposes we're doing something. If you're not doing anything, you don't need any help. You only need help when you're doing something. When you're trying to do something, then you need help. Hey, will you help me pick up this chair? Yeah, sure. But you're not lifting it. Well, so it's not help if I'm not lifting it too. You, You see what I mean? Help presupposes that I'm doing something. So I'm trying to do something. Help, Lord. And the one to whom I'm coming, there is no mistake. You take a prayer like this and you say, God, I just have trouble memorizing all of this stuff. Help, Lord, you will never forget. Help, Lord, to the student who is in need of understanding, in need of clarity, for their book work. You look at something and say, I don't understand what is happening. Or you listen to a lecture by a professor, I don't know what he was saying. I'm clueless. And you ask him, could you re-explain that? Oh yeah, sure. And he goes through the same thing exactly like he said it before. And you're like, now I doubly don't understand. The Bible says, you say, help, Lord. Help, Lord. It is a prayer that is that simple. And a work then is to take this verse and apply it to our life. So that when you go into the situation that is so difficult, you remember that prayer. Help, Lord. I know the one to whom I am crying out. And I know that He is able. 
I know the promise of God that has been given to me in the life of Jesus Christ. And I know that He is able. And He will never leave me nor forsake me. And He is the one who said to me, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. I am with you always. He is the one to whom I am crying, Help, Lord. And His help is sure. It is that simple. It is taking these passages and applying it to our lives. He calls us to demonstrate it. He uses an example of one who is in need of clothing. One who is in need of their daily food. It could be many examples. This is what he calls us to. A work that shows, that is demonstrative. It demonstrates something of a life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of this word, that a saving faith calls us to good works. And we can overcome evil with good. Father, I pray that you would teach us your ways, that you take these young people and let them walk in good works, in good works that demonstrate and that manifest the salvation that's been placed upon their hearts. Father, I pray that you would do that in them. Fill them, Lord, with good works, big and small, subtle and not so subtle. Let them be filled with good works, I pray. Father, thank you for your word. In the name of Jesus, amen.